You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! It's Hump Day! Welcome to another episode of Hump Day. This is Tim Jasma, and joining me is the greatest legal mind in the Pacific Northwest. It is Professor Aubrey. He always fails to mention how adorable I am. I mean, that's just implied. It's implied, is it? Yes. Okay. Anyway, we are here for another week to entertain you folks. Uh, And this week, we thought that we would uh, have a little bit of a lighter topic here. Exactly right. So something fun that you might do um, with your friends could be a fun little activity. Indeed. So what we are doing here is we are going to be kind of discussing our favorite, five favorite music videos from the 80s. But what we're going to do here, um, being hump day, is that we're um, going to introduce the first video that we talk about. And then we're going to cut to a musical interlude. While the musical interlude is playing, we're going to be watching that video. And then when we come back, we'll give our thoughts on that. Sounds great, Tim. Yes, so I'm definitely excited about that. Now, before we start, like the 80s... Let's just talk about... Exactly. Let's just talk about the 80s and music videos writ large. So, the 80s really were the decade in which the music video came into its own as a means of expression beyond the song. Don't you think? Um, most definitely. I mean, like we talked about on uh, the Michael Nesmith tribute episode on Friends Talking Nerdy, um, you know, there have definitely been attempts at, you know, what we consider music videos before. But yeah, once MTV got going, once people, you know, had a, a jukebox that they could have on TV, nothing was going to stop it. And in more and more, the visuals became a part of it. Like, you know, like in terms of rock and roll, like a lot of the bands from the 70s ended up not getting work in the 80s because they looked ugly as fuck (laughs) right yeah it really changed the dynamics of the music industry entirely it changed the music business i would say to the same extent maybe not of the internet Yes, and I mean, the internet, I think, in a lot of ways has democratized music. So, uh, you know, I, I think despite the fact that there are still very much problems in terms of how artists are able to get paid and how, how, and all that stuff, you know, I think the fact that, you know, with something like a Spotify account that we have virtually every single recorded bit of music history at our fingertips, you know, something like that is okay. But, you know, in terms of music videos, like it, was a shift it was a major shift it was but it didn't you know like the internet has done away with recorded media essentially like many of us have like we have here at friends talking nerdy um podcast network studios mm-hmm. we have a record collection i think we have four or five cds music cds mm-hmm. Um, no cassettes, no eight tracks, no track to track. 
Um, and, you know, I'm not buying a lot of records. I'm not buying a lot of CDs. I will buy a record maybe, I don't know, once every six months or so. I'll 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 get a hair to buy a record if I see something I really want. And it's in my budget. But it's not like the old days. I mean, like for me, like, you know, before the internet, it was saving up your money to either buy a new album uh, at the store or buy some blank uh, cassettes so you can tape music off the radio. Yeah, or saving up to go see them. I mean, I think the other thing the internet has has done has... You know, it's maybe a, it's a function of me getting older um, as well. But, I, you know, I feel like there used to be a lot more um, live music venues with live music. And people used to go out to see live music more than they do now. Um, I at least feel kind of overloaded and, you know, I think that's another interesting thing with regard to the 80s and videos is back then there was no overload of generationally appropriate television. What do you mean by that? I mean, when Friday night videos was on and you could get it on your local station on Friday nights, it was exciting AF to watch Friday night videos and dance along and see which videos were going to be on there. And I'd be thinking, oh, I got to get home, make sure I see Welcome to the Jungle or make sure I see Material Girl. And, um, you know, I don't have the same... I feel overwhelmed by media now. And I don't get excited about things the way that I used to, whether it be a movie coming out, an album coming out, a concert. I'm like, I have a hard time even just catching up and like knowing who's playing out, who's on tour. Like, I don't know who's on tour. Well, that's also the bad part about having so much material at your fingertips. I mean, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, they still had, you know, when they released material, I mean, a lot of times it did become an event, you know. I mean, if you were a big enough fan of a particular artist, you were going to know when a new album was coming out. And like, you know, like in the 90s, like for for instance, uh, when like Guns N' Roses released Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, I mean, you had music stores that would open at midnight, you know, similar to like a Marvel movie today, you know. But when you just, you know, just release it up to Spotify and everybody can get it same day and you don't have to make that effort to go to the store to buy it, you know, it, it can feel more disposable than it really is yeah totally so and and also too i think with videos in a lot of ways it is kind of there are parallels to music videos and professional wrestling what i what do i mean by that um the, the more outrageous, the more outlandish, the more spectacle was put into the music video, the more people came to expect from it up to the point to where 
there's really not much more that music music videos could do. Obviously, they still make them, but MTV doesn't play them. They're just strictly for YouTube or Vivo or, you know, something like that. They are out there, but, yeah, people don't... Re- I mean, having a channel on the TV as a video jukebox just you know people would be like why today because there are so many other ways to get that media mm-hmm. right and I, yeah like i remember jukeboxes and like going and playing jukeboxes and mm-hmm. i remember when they switched the jukebox over in the bar that i would go to when i was in college from um 45s to cds and we were all super excited because we could have some new modern music and so much more music because cds held so much more than records Oh, my mother forbid me from using the jukebox after I showed up to her work one time after her, uh, the bar she had switched over to a CD jukebox. And I went and um, put in $5 and quarters and just played Revolution 9 from the Beatles <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> in a country bar. It like lasted all day long. Something like that. Yeah. And, and you've heard Revolution 9, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's it's yeah. It's it's not a it's not a song that's going to go over well at a bar that Johnny Paycheck played at. So what was the response? It was like, don't ever do that again, or I'll, <laughs> you know, or you'll regret it. Tim. <laughs> I think I think what ultimately happened is like after a couple of plays, um, my mother just went and like unplugged it and plugged it back in. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, she seems like she was a very good um, action person. Yes. Like, there's just action. Um, And she might talk about it, but mostly action. Yeah, I mean, single parent in the 80s, especially. Kind of a tough, kind of a tough era to be a, you know, single woman raising two kids. I mean, it's hard now, but imagine, you know, 40 years ago, how much, how much harder. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird to think how long ago that was and how, you know, back in the 90s when I was sort of asking these questions of my elders, um, it was 40 years ago was the 50s for them. And I remember how that seems like so long ago, but for... A 20-year-old today or younger, the 90s have to sound like they were so long ago. Or, or you know, the whole idea of, you know, like back to the future. I mean, like in 2015, that was the 30-year marks in terms of, you know, the uh, in, in the movie Back to the Future 2, they go into the future in 2015, which is 30 years on from 1985. And then in the first movie, they went in the past 30 years. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's it, time flies when you're not looking you know, yeah, I mean, my hair falling out of my head, you know, kind of counts the, counts the minutes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, like we said, we are here to critique some music videos. So similar on Friends Talking Nerdy, when we have the Nerdy Five, we're going to bounce back and forth here. But I And again, what we're going to do is we're going to announce the video. We're going to kick to a musical interlude, and then we will give you our thoughts on the video when we come back. So, Professor, what is number one on your list? I give you... The quintessential 80s band, Duran Duran, with Rio. All right, so 
If you want to join along at home, go to YouTube, look for Rio from Duran Duran, watch that video, and then when we come back from this musical interlude, you will hear our thoughts. Sound good? Sounds great. All right, we just wrapped up watching the music video Rio from Duran Duran. So, Professor, why this video? Well, first, I got to just respond to the video itself and say it was a hurricane of a pastel pop, um, you know, fantasy that really took me back to the days of watching Duran Duran's Rio video and, you know, just dreaming about being on a tropical island and really personifying, you know, when I think when you're young and you consume media, you see yourself in it, you know, and I definitely saw myself in the Duran Duran video and I was just sitting here, um, you know, wanting to be in the tropics again, just, just as I was when I was a child. I want to be with Duran Duran. I want to be with those guys on the boat. Well, if you look at uh, other videos from the era, I mean, obviously there's a reason why Duran Duran hit it big. And, and like more than anything, I think this video, I think, is also the reason why they got um, the, the Bond theme song for A View to a Kill. Because they took that Bond aesthetic. They went to a ritzy location. They dressed like stars. They had beautiful women. And just what more wouldn't wouldn't you know, an audience want because a lot of times for rock bands, you know, uh, it bef- slightly before this era, you would just have the band in a studio playing as if they're playing. Maybe they will have a little bit of a setup here and there, but you know, it took right, a few. They might have some dancers in the studio. They might have some sets. But it 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 was a, still a couple of years. You know, this is really the start of some real production value being being put into these videos, and I would even say. More than likely, they probably just had like a 16 millimeter camera at best, which, again, for their purposes, lip syncing to a song that you know they can. <laughs> th- th- that was a cookbook, um, but uh, but lip syncing to a song that you know, th- like they didn't have to worry about the audio or anything like that. Um, but th- yeah, I mean, there's a reason they they were big. So definitely good choice. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So, yeah, I thought for those reasons, you know, and you see him in, in, throughout the video kind of getting the getting the shot where it's kind of funny where you can see the superimposed shot in the window. Um, and those kinds of shots on, on modern um, televisions are just really noticeable. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, if you take that sort of technology piece away from it, the storytelling of it and... Um, you know, the location work and, you know, I, you know, I think they did, I think it was remarkable at the time. Uh, definitely for a bunch of skinny white guys from Britain. <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the theme of this, because, you know, Rio and all of North and South America was um, colonized by Europeans and, including the English, that you could also, you know, I think a critique, a modern critique of this video is that it glorifies colonialism. Um, They're enjoying the fruits of colonialism, 
quite freely and without any commentary about it, just sort of like this is what a good time is, is going to, uh, you know, places in the empire and doing enjoyable activities with the natives. And um, it doesn't really represent those places that they went in the same way a Bond movie doesn't really... um, take you to the real Saint-Tropez or the real Capri or wherever it is that they go in. It's a heightened reality, um, but it is also a view of the times, you know? I mean, it's... Yeah, Yeah, I think so, totally. Yeah. All right, any other thoughts on Duran Duran? Uh, No, just great to dance to, you know. Indeed, and I think, uh, yeah, they were the one like uh like zz top i guess had some good things to say about them as well interesting so they had some cross appreciation yeah i mean apparently it was duran duran that introduced zz top to the synthesizer oh neat yeah um it was i guess you know billy gibbons being a musician um you know just saw the work that they were doing even though they were using instruments he didn't wasn't using at the time he could see that you know at the end of the day they were still pretty much playing the same type of music he did just with different instruments yeah cool (laughs) so what's our next video tim all right my first choice we're gonna go a little metal awesome we're gonna go one for metallica is that how it goes? No, I think that's Hey Jude. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh my God, that was not Hey Jude. Okay, cool. All right, so hang tight for this musical interlude, and when we come back, we will talk about one from Metallica. That was one from Metallica. Yes. Yes, it was. And give us your thoughts about the video. Uh, well, I remember when I first saw it, um, it kind of blew my mind. Um, it de- I saw it on uh, Headbangers Ball. Uh, it was a show that was on MTV Saturday nights at midnight. Uh, with Ricky Rackman as the host. And, um, you know, he played this. And, like, to this point, I mean, I was aware of metal, but wasn't really into it. And I think, like, the most hardcore band I could think... If you would question me in 88 when this video came out, who's the most hardcore band around? I'd be like, Guns N' Roses. Because that's how naive I was. Wow. You know, but but seeing these guys, you know, seeing uh, this video for the first time, it was just like, whoa, there's different stuff out there, you know, just just the speed at which everything was going and the fact that, you know, Metallica, you know, in the video just didn't fit the, it's funny to say now, but they didn't fit the corporate mold of what rock and roll stars were supposed to look like in this era. Right. But they set a style themselves. So then, you know, for me, it was like boys in my school, there were no boys in my school walking around looking like Guns N' Roses, just like I'm sure there were no boys in the school in the 60s walking around looking like Mick Jagger. Like, there's just a certain swagger that comes 
along, you know, once every blue moon, and that person is going to be a star, right? Like, that's not like the rest of us. So Metallica was like a style that people could emulate. Yeah, I mean, it was t-shirt and jeans <laughs> and uh you know their audience i mean they were their audience they just got lucky i mean they'd be the first to say that yeah totally but um but again yeah i mean this uh you know this video kind of opened the doors for me to kind of to to taste test metal to see what i like and i you know i I think for metal music uh you know i do prefer you know more melodic stuff like this you know stuff that does sound like a a regular song and not just lots and lots of screaming for for no reason if you get my drift yeah i hear what you're saying like thrash metal not you're not into thrash metal well technically this is thrash i'm i'm thinking more like death metal oh death metal yeah yeah you know um but Anyway, that is my thoughts on Metallica. I'm sure you probably did not listen to them too much ever. Oh, well, I mean, this was the one the one song, right, that was getting airplay on re- during the day regularly mm. along with Guns N' Roses. Um, so I definitely have seen this video, this particular video and know this particular song um just from being not at all interested in it, but because it was just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did see it. Yeah, they did this album um, and, and this video, of course. Uh, and the album it came off of was called Injustice for All. And it was the first album they did with their new bass player. Um, because their previous bass player, Cliff Burton, died in a tragic accident. Um, they were in Europe on tour. Um, and, you know, they were in, in a tour bus uh, sleeping. And I guess it was at night. I, I guess it was winter or something like that. And the bus got into an accident and the bus flipped. And the original bass player for the band, Cliff Burton, was ejected from the window of the bus. But then the bus crashed on him and he got crushed to death. Oh, my God. That's always my big fear. Like, sometimes when I'm driving over bridges, I'll think about, like, what would happen? Like, you would be falling for a long time. Unless maybe you got, like, crushed by some concrete on the way down. Or, you know, like, there's no way of knowing what might happen. I mean, I Isn't have. Isn't that a morbid thing to be thinking about? <laughs> well, I mean, I've actually read some articles on that. I mean, I, I, I guess scientists speculate that, I guess, like maybe with the height of a drop, it's possible that, you know, a person could easily just be so delirious with the fear of everything going on that they could pass out before, you know, they realize how. The actual impa- impact of the fall. Yeah, I mean, because it just, it just, you know, like, think back, you know, worst case scenario, 9-11. I mean, think about the people that had to make the choice to either jump out or be burned to death and think about what type of choice that made. And, like, I would be just frightened beyond compare. And, you know, if, if I, I would hope they, they were able to pass out before, you know, they felt anything, you know. Yeah, totally. Man. On that note. Whoa, how did that happen? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, man. Let's, let's lighten things up here. What is going to be your next choice? Okay, so my next choice is going to be one of our favorites, Madonna with Material Girl. All right, so again, if you are playing along at home, go to YouTube, find Madonna's Material Girl video, play it, and when the musical interlude completes... We'll give you our thoughts.
Welcome back to Hump Day, where we are reviewing our favorite videos from the 1980s. We have just watched Madonna's Material Girl um, video, and um, it was just as beautiful as I remember it. The story just as touching. Madonna just as beautiful and stylish and um, good dancer. And I, I see why I loved her so much as, you know, 13-year-old in that video. That's all, you, that's all I need to know. Yeah, I mean, I've always had a respect for Madonna. Um, at, you know, she was one of the entrants that helped me win the very first battle for state supremacy, by the way. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, she was born in Michigan, after all. Um, but this was also around the time when she was still singing with a higher-pitched voice. I didn't really start... Uh, you know, appreciating her music until uh, Like a Prayer. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I think with Like a Prayer, you know, like her vocal range went went down a little bit. So I don't know if that's just, you know, a natural part of age or if during this period for the hit songs that came out, she was singing with a higher pitch. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. And, you know, she's still alive and is is gloriously private, so we have no idea. But I'm sure as soon as she dies, we'll get a tell-all. Um, I'll, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. She's older than me, significantly older than me. So uh, maybe I'll get to read that book someday. I mean, if anything, Madonna's going to go down as a legend because, if anything, she's like, you know, a furtherance of, of, you know, the work that women in rock had done before. I mean, she, you know, took what Debbie Harry did in the 70s and kind of did more with it, you know, and, you know, Debbie Harry with previous people and previous generations and whatnot. So, you know, the fact, too, is that, you know, think of this, think of, you know, <laughs> the first uh, MTV Video Music Awards with the Like a Virgin uh, thing that caused a huge stir in how you know from the very start in the 80s she was using sex to get people talking she really was and i was so what year was that um this video it's set at the end uh 85 copyright notice um like a uh, the first uh mtv video music awards i believe was in 84 right so i'm 10 11 years old and um you know, so she's sort of my Katy Perry kind of figure, and so I wanted to look just like her, and so after like a prayer, I was like, I have to have a bustier, I have to have a crinoline, I have to have stockings, and it was just, it wasn't sexual in any way, it was just... I thought she was the coolest. Like, here she was, sort of commanding audience. She was such a strong personality and um, really inspiring to me as a young girl. And so I wanted to look just like her. And people would, like, not walk with me in the mall because I looked so weird. Or, But I always, you know, whatever my style was, I always did it up. Yeah, and I mean, you shouldn't have to apologize for that because, like, think about you know how many boys at that age were dressing up like Superman and still going out, you know, with like you know capes and or or you know forty five year old guys that wear comic book t shirts, you know, it's, not, it's nothing to apologize for. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on the material girl herself? Well, so the the do you know what the dancing comes from? 
Well, I know she, you know, and like with Vogue, for instance, off of the Like a Prayer album, that was like her singing a song devoted to a dance craze that got started in gay clubs. Yeah, so that's not this. So this <laughs> this choreography comes from Marilyn Monroe movie. Oh, the Mar- yeah, yeah, yeah. Some Like It Hot or one of those? Um, I believe it could have been Some Like It Hot. It also could have been How to Marry a Millionaire, and I can't remember. I've watched them both so many times, um, which reminds me, those are really great movies. And if you've not seen some Marilyn Monroe movies, we should watch some. I've seen some like a hot. I mean, that's a classic for a reason, and you got Jack Lemon. <laughs> yeah, some like it hot is really funny. So, mm. anyway, um, so it's an homage. It's a direct homage to Marilyn Monroe and that sort of era. Um, and but then we see the '80s modern era portrayed in the story within the story. And isn't it funny how, you know, for as much of a hubbub that conservatives got in the 80s over her work, how amazingly conservative at the end of the day her messages in her videos were like at the end of the day it's you know she fell for the simple guy in this video and then what's that Papa Don't Preach song? How is that not a conservative message? It's totally conservative message. I'm keeping my baby like they should have loved that song. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the 80s for you. So much contradiction. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, just nothing was real. It was all material. Mm -hmm. Pun intended. Ah, see what I did? Mm -hmm. All right, so we ready to move on? Indeed. All right, so let's just cut to the chase here. Let's cut to our next video. Thriller. Michael Jackson. Excellent. All right, so we kick back, relax. We're going to have a quick musical interlude, and we, when we come back from that, we are going to talk about Thriller. All right, we just wrapped up watching Thriller from Michael Jackson, and really, what can you say that hasn't already been said? I mean, it was the first music video that really captured everybody's attention even if you hated the song you knew about thriller and it was in your life for a good year or two (laughs) yeah for real and i mean i remember as somebody who loved michael jackson as a kid um watching the premiere and just getting so excited and i remember there was a coke commercial right beforehand i think mm-hmm. and um you know i was drinking a coke i'm sure and sitting 6 inches away from the television screen because we didn't have a remote control mm-hmm. um and so that's what you would do you just lay right in front of the television so that you could just reach up and operate the controls of the television did you ever have to do that no, that was one uh, thing my mother uh, kind of b- kind of splurged on, um, and that's uh, cable, basic cable. So we, you know, we never had like HBO unless it was like the free weekend or anything like that. But you know, we always had cable in our house. Nice, nice. Yeah, we always had it when it was available. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't available for a good period of my childhood, but. Yeah. Now we started out with like those brown boxes that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a little. So uh, we had it really early. Um, 
when I lived on an Air Force base. And so that was in, you know, 78 to 82-ish. The very, very early days of cable, yeah. Yeah, and we had cable then. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to back to Tennessee, where my parents were from, and we did not have cable for a good four or five years, mm-hmm. um, based on being in that location. And so I've always sort of understood the the digital divide argument because you know it started way back, way back then, when things became digitized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a new cable. You know, it was the people who you know, in the rural areas that got it last. And that, you know, affects rural children. I kind of don't care about the rural adults, like they choose to live there, but the kids don't, you know. And so when they don't have access to fast internet, that slows down their ability to do the same things that other kids in urban areas can do. And so that's concerning. And I guess maybe that was, you know, this is around the age when I was noticing like, oh, we don't, you know, it sucks we don't have cable anymore, you know. Yeah, and I mean, Grand Rapids is not the biggest city in the world, but, you know, at least as far as Michigan goes, it is the second biggest. So, you know, the fact, I mean, the fact of the matter is, as far as I can remember, as long as I can remember, you know, cable has always been a thing. So it's something I didn't even really think about. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they say, I I think I say this all the time, they say that technology over the next 50 years will be equal to technology for the last 5,000 in terms of its... I think that's your catchphrase, right? Yeah, that's my catchphrase. (laughs) Technology! Uh, Anyway, you know, you think about those different technologies and, um, you know, people who are born today and what they don't know you know, their assumptions about how the world works. Like, there's always been an Alexa. There's always been, (laughs) you know. Or something as simple as teaching computer programming. I mean, younger kids today, it's, like, pretty standard in school that they're going to teach you some level of programming, but we didn't get that. Oh, God, no. We got to play the Oregon Trail game. Yeah, and, you know, for... Print out our name and let in the same letters. Yeah, so, I mean, I can definitely feel that divide there because I'm a little step behind in terms of that compared to uh, younger folks. So, but that's a different story for a different day, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. Next song. Next song. What do you have for us? Next song. Next song. We're going to go right to another classic. We're going to listen to Prince, When Doves Cry. Staying in the Midwest. So, kick back, relax, enjoy this musical interlude. We will be right back with our thoughts on Prince. All right, we just wrapped up watching Prince and the Revolution's song, When Doves Cry. That's right. Good. So, all right, so why was this on your list? Well, um, this to me is a quintessential 80s required watching. Um, the, I mean, the heat coming off the screen in that video, uh, you know, still one of the sexiest videos I think out there and was in you know a very early on and loved the movie loved Prince started wearing purple everything painted my bedroom purple 
everything was purple. I loved him so much. I never really got into him. Like, when I first started getting into music, um, was just, like, you know, for, for where he was at in his career, I think that's when, uh, like, around when Graffiti Bridge came out and when he did the soundtrack for Batman. Uh, so, like, 88 and 89, so it was just past this era. So it, it was, like, another decade. It was the late 90s before I started getting into uh, the early songs like this just because, um, you know, especially his 90s work, when he was having the contract dispute with Warner Brothers, he admittedly was just putting out stuff to complete a contract that, he'd signed that you know screwed him over yeah totally and you can tell um and I think that that's the story of that work and you have to look at it you know with a sort of curator's eye and know that it doesn't represent the talent that he had um Oh, yeah. I mean, once the contract thing was complete, um, you know, and he came back uh, with the album Musicology, I mean, uh, you know, that was one hell of an album right there. I don't, I don't know if you've heard that one. Mm. Of course. Yes. Uh, I mean, they called it his comeback, even though he never really went away. It was just, um, yeah, once he was able to, you know, use his name again and uh, not be under the shackles of an oppressive contract, you know. The, the talent came back. It's amazing how that works. Imagine that. So uh, any other thoughts on Prince? I mean, because like, like one thing you can imagine too, like uh, in terms of visuals in the 80s, like I can see where some people would not understand him, you know? Oh, for sure. Like his androgyny and his raw sexuality that you're not quite sure where it's directed um, and that sort of broody, broody quality that he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and I also think of uh, the Chappelle Show uh, sketch where um, <laughs> Charlie Murphy's True Hollywood Stories, where he relates uh, how uh, Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy were at Prince's house and they ended up playing basketball and Prince beat them in basketball. Yeah, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. But what I always think about is... Um, is the movie Purple Rain and to some extent, you know, I believe that it is like I took it as being um somewhat autobiographical. I don't know whether it actually is or not. I just took it as being, you know, being that I was ten. Mm-hmm. And um you know, so I just always saw him as this sort of hero, sort of strange hero like character. And that persisted throughout his career, so it kind of didn't matter what he did. Like, I've seen Graffiti Bridge probably three times just to see him doing something different, you know what I mean? Um, And I've seen Purple Rain, I mean, in the dozens of times. Yeah, I I guess for me, you know, I guess in the 90s, I didn't really understand too much uh, his position against Warner Brothers. Um, That's not to say in the 90s I necessarily was open to to listening per se, but, you know, I I think, you know, being aware now of just because when you're a new artist, you're, you know, going to take the first opportunity that comes your way. And, you know, they say bring a lawyer with you. And I'm not saying he didn't, but, you know, a lot of times new artists end up signing contracts to where, 
they get royally screwed. And like he had to release an obscene amount of albums before he could be done with his contract. I mean, normally uh, contracts are made and they're like one, two, maybe three album contracts or something like that. But they don't want to have a huge commitment. But with, with Prince, for whatever reason, I think it was like 10 albums he had to deliver, which, um, you know, like... Ugh. You know, it's like, on the one hand, maybe he should have read it a little bit more. Maybe, you know, he didn't have to sign something if he really didn't want to. But, you know, on the other hand, too, it's just like, why keep somebody, you know, for, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, we're supposed to be a country with no involuntary servitude. I remember, like, thinking of the justice of the thing, you know, and the idea that, authors and auteurs like Prince was of like everything in his surroundings like when you look at this video you know he came up with the idea of being in the bathtub like that wasn't somebody else's idea that was Prince's idea and um you know just knowing that what was my point did I have one I don't know (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you feel especially bad when you know that the artist is a genuine artist and that they, you know, I mean, there are people who write songs for a living. Like, they just get up every day and write songs and sell them because they're that good. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think Prince was that way. I think he wrote a lot of songs and he wrote excellent songs, but I think he was more, he was very invested in them more as a star than as a songwriter. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, nothing compares to you, the Sinead O'Connor version. I, I, from my understanding, is I think he did not necessarily like that. You know, he liked the, the like, uh, he would commonly, when he did write songs for people, it would be a song that he ended up, like, producing or something like that. Like the Bangles, Manic Monday. He wrote that song. Right. I think it was dating Susanna Hoff at the time, but, you know, he, um, you know, ultimately wrote that song for her and for other people he wrote songs for. Like, uh, I think he may have, I, I know he, you know, put them in his movie and whatnot, but I think he wrote some songs for Morris Day in the time as well, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, so it's, it's, if he's going to write a song for another artist, he wants to have some involvement in t- in terms of how it's shaped. And, you know, when it's Prince, you let him do what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. So any other thoughts on the purple one? No, just love you, Prince. <laughs> All right. So we will cut to a musical interlude here to watch our next video. And that is Welcome to the Jungle from Guns N' Roses. Welcome to the Jungle. Can't wait. All right. Enjoy. All right. We are back. We just wrapped up watching Welcome to the Jungle. Um, For me, I remember when I first saw this video, I think the big thing that Guns N' Roses did for me was that even though in a lot of ways they still fit the same mold of bands of that era, like your Motley Crues and whatnot, they were still a little different. 
you know, there was still a little bit more of a real edge to them, if that made sense. Um, and, you know, as, if anything, they're, they're probably more a more harder edge Aerosmith than anything. I mean, it's, you know, the same type of dynamic with the, you know, same amount of musicians in the band and, and, and whatnot, but just just what an opening track to a, a debut album. I mean, if you're going to make a statement, this is a way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just you couldn't take your eyes off of it. I remember the video when it first came out and just like, what just happened? Like rock sort of was something I became interested in because of this song and this band. Yeah, I mean, because again, like the videos were just slightly different from other rock videos of the era. Because like other rock videos, there was a formula a lot of times to them, and this one didn't quite fit that. And again, it there was there was an originality to Guns N' Roses, even though they are very much steeped in the in the L.A. rock culture and are very much fans of groups like Aerosmith from the '70s and whatnot. You know, there was still something more there compared to other bands of the era like a great white or la guns or something like that even white snake even white snake (laughs) (laughs) and i put them up there with one of my one of my in my lifetime what i would have said was my favorite band Hmm. white snake Mm -hmm. for about three months in what do you think 1980 86 87 yeah 87 I was 13, madly in love with a... David Coverdale? <laughs> no, with a guy who really liked Whitesnake. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love Whitesnake. <laughs> love them. Love Whitesnake. And then you come home with a record and your parents are like, what's a white snake?" They were just like, this music sucks. Why are you listening to this? Because um, mm. they actually did have some musical taste. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, there's a reason people d- don't really listen to White Snake uh, much at all. Um, having said that, David Coverdale uh, did get his start. Uh, he was one of the lead singers, I believe, for Deep Purple uh, back in the day, and uh, which is in- the only reason that anybody ever listened to White Snake to begin with. Yeah. Um, also, in the '90s, he did have one album with Jimmy Page. Uh, it was the, the the album was just called Coverdale Page. And uh, um, they did put out one single that did get some play on MTV that was actually halfway decent. Cool. Yeah, so your favorite band. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what is your next choice? So the next choice is going to be Run DMC and Aerosmith with Walk This Way. Great choice. So enjoy the musical interlude. We'll be right back with our thoughts. All right, we are back. We just wrapped up watching Run DMC with Aerosmith in the video Walk This Way. Why was that your choice? Well, I think it's a video that changed uh, music and exposed me to hip-hop for the first time, probably. I mean, there was um, Breakin' Electric Boogaloo to begin with, or I think maybe Breakin' 2 was called Electric Boogaloo. But... um. You know, the, and I think it launched Aerosmith, 
It relaunched Aerosmith. So it was, you know, it had trem- you know, just a profound influence on music for the next, until now. And so I thought it was important that we watch it for that reason. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, this it, it was very similar to when, um, you know, Frank Sinatra welcomed Elvis back from the military and they had a TV special, kind of a passing of the torch kind of ways. Uh, because, um, you know, in terms of genres of music, it looks like, you know, if you look back historically, you're going to get like 50 to 60 years of solid, you know, popular interest. And then, you know, it, it will ultimately wane to a point where you won't, you know, like with any any type of music, you know. How long are we talking about history-wise, those since popular music? Yeah. Right, so since the 50s. Oh, I mean, like Sinatra, you know, goes back to the 40s. Um, okay. And and if you look at, you know, entertainment, you know, musical entertainment before that, I mean, you got musical entertainment in the 30s, 20s. and This is true, particularly with country music. It started in the 20s as radio broadcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a good long time. I mean, I guess my point being, like, let's look at how long this has actually been going on. It's just that there aren't that many generations of music yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, we are still in the infancy, I guess you can say, of modern popular music. Because, you know, know, before music became a commodity you could sell, it was either the classical stuff to where, you know, people that were specifically trained to make this music could do it, or the simple stuff you sang out on the farm. Right. I mean, there were definitely people making money off of music throughout history in various ways, but Mm -hmm. never sort of this superstardom, sort of different, completely different class of person, untouchable person. I think I think that's new. Indeed. Indeed. So um, and overall, too, like this video was definitely my intro to uh, hip hop as well. And what better way to to have that? And it was also one of my first intros to Aerosmith, too. So, you know, two for the price of one um, and run DMC's work uh, is is definitely legendary. And they were one of uh the first big hip hop artists for a reason. They found a way to make work that spoke to people. Not that other hip hop artists didn't, but in in more than anything, it was probably just Run DMC got lucky because they had the right people behind them pushing them, you know, compared to other folks. But, you know, they they they're the ones that got that big first big push, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's worth something. Indeed. Indeed. So any more thoughts on Run DMC? No. What do we got coming up next? All right. The next one we are going to talk about is from Peter Gabriel. It's Sledgehammer. Oh, excellent. This is a great video. Indeed. Indeed. So enjoy the musical break. We'll be right back with our thoughts. All right, we are back. And we just wrapped up watching Sledgehammer from Peter Gabriel. I'm not going to proclaim to be the biggest Peter Gabriel fan. I think um, he, in in a lot of ways, kind of shows what 
good MTV can do and what bad MTV can do as well. Um, because if you actually listen to the full album that this came from, um, you know, this and uh, Big Time were on it, but he had a lot more mellower stuff that wasn't exactly the splashy stuff that you saw in this video. So in a way, he used MTV to get big record sales, but the videos promised an experience on the album that you didn't get. I hated when that happened. I hated when that happened. And it made you sort of distrust albums, you know, and stop buying albums. Mm. And I think that people stopped buying albums around this time. And people were just buying singles. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, doing it the cheap way like I did, recording songs off the radio, because, I mean, that is the beauty of of streaming, because, you know, you don't have to, you know, find the wheat amongst the chaff anymore. You can just go and purchase the wheat, you know? I mean, like, um, you know, Peter, Ge- like, again, he's not one of my all-time favorite artists, but I'd put him up there in, like, a greatest hits category, you know? He puts out a good greatest hits album. I'm going to buy it and enjoy it, um, but... You know, Sledgehammer is a classic video for a reason. You know, a lot of work was put into it. It, you know, for for the '80s especially, it was probably one of the best videos made in that decade. I mean, do you agree? Absolutely, I agree. In terms of the artistry that went into it, yeah, um, it was just a good concept, and then it was really, really well executed. Yeah, I mean, like I said, though, the big critique I do have is that, again, the music video in this particular case for his albums was selling you on an experience that wasn't exactly there compared to what other artists gave you. Because, like, I'm not comparing Peter Gabriel to Bon Jovi, but, you know, when Bon Jovi put out a a video... You knew that if you bought the album, the experience was going to be relatively the same. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that just, I don't, sounds like I'm, I'm bad mouthing him. I'm not bad mouthing him again. He, you know, he's a legend for a reason and, and this is a great video, but I do think it does need to be pointed out that, you know, this is right about the time that, you know, record companies started getting a grasp on what videos could do and started manipulating the process. Yeah, for sure. Which is always going to happen. Yeah, money rolls. So, what's uh, we're down to our last choices here. We are down to your very last one. Tell the folks at home what we're going to be watching. We're going to be watching Aha with Take On Me, an oh. 80s classic. An absolute classic. So, we'll cut to a musical interlude. We will be right back. We are back, having just watched Aha's Take On Me, one of the greatest anthems of the 80s, for the 80s, for the new wave, and um, I lo- absolutely loved it. What do you think of it? Uh, the video is definitely a classic. Um, I, I Again, if I use this argument for Peter Gabriel, I have to use it for this band as well. Um, I think, again, in a lot of ways, it was a little bit of a shell game. They put so much effort into making a great video that that's what they're primarily remembered for. 
at least in the United States. I don't know what they're like. I mean, they're originally from Europe, so they probably have a much different fan base. But as far as the United States goes, that and the James Bond's uh, theme song, The Living Daylights, were their primary hits, you know? Yeah, for sure. But having said that, get the negative out of the way. I mean, for especially for the 80s to have that mixture of it looking like a living comic book and then you switch and it, you know, just for the effects they were able to do, I'm sure it would be very difficult to do today. The fact that they were able to uh, make it look so seamless and make it not, not look cheap says a lot about uh, the artistry at work here because you know what I mean by that I mean they could it, they could have easily made it look like a like a Roger Corman movie to where they could have pulled some of it off but you knew that they were like standing in front of a green screen and they probably were standing in front of green screens for this but again just so well done yeah they didn't take the easy way out they executed it really well and you know I think that's what this has in common with sledgehammering is that they were very high concept and very well executed. Yeah, I mean, kind of going along with uh, what Mike Nesmith wanted to do, because Mike Nesmith, you know, wanted to see a day to where musicians would put out video albums. And in a way, that's kind of happening, because I know Beyonce has released a couple. Yeah. Um, I believe Taylor Swift has uh, released like a specific movie um, with her songs and and other artists have definitely done it. So it's, uh, you know, the music video is definitely uh, evolving compared to what it was. But, you know, what what a classic. But it's time for my last choice here. That is that's very exciting, Tim. What is your last choice? Ragdoll from Aerosmith. Ragdoll living in a movie. Hot Tramp Daddy's Little Cutie. All right, we are going to cut to a musical interlude, and then we will wrap up our thoughts on that, and then we will end Hump Day for the week. All right, we are back with the last video we're talking about. It is Ragdoll from Aerosmith from their album Permanent Vacation, the first uh, big comeback album they had after Walk This Way with uh, Run DMC. Um, before I give you my thoughts, what are your thoughts? I mean, is it surprising that we have body issues and daddy issues and all kinds of issues? I mean, that's how I feel about it. It's just pornography. It appeals only to the prurient interest. You say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> I, it, it, I mean, thinking back, yeah, the t- types of music videos that made it on MTV back in the day um, in a modern lens are rather shocking. Yup. And... You know, it's weird to think about 10-year-old self or 12-year-old self, like, consuming that and being like, oh, that's what cool girls wear. It's just a jacket and nothing else. Or, hey, you know, I need to put out in order for boys to like me. Or, I mean, there are, there are lots of messages um, that have been sent by all the videos that we've watched. But I think this one more than any of the others, is demonstrative of that body beauty standard 
that is impossible to achieve and is certainly difficult to maintain for many of us. Not impossible for everybody, obviously, but impossible for some people. I don't care what you say. Um, I was going to say that. <laughs> I don't know. Just, you know, it just sets you up to be unhappy. Yeah, in the sense that, you know, you are constantly, sub, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you know, comparing yourself to what society deems is beautiful and good and all that stuff. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about, I mean, how did those videos make you feel about other girls at your school or the girls at your school? I, they were scary. I wasn't talking to them. <laughs> were you looking at them? Well, sure. I mean, yeah, the older I got when puberty hit, sure. If I saw a pretty girl, I would, you know, enjoy it, but I wouldn't go to them and like, oh my God, you're so pretty. I never did that. But what was a pretty girl to you? Honestly, uh, tough to explain. I mean, it wasn't, a pretty girl was not, you know, like a a stripper from an 80s music video for me. You know, for me, pretty girl has always been more of a nice person (laughs) than anything else. And, you know, you're not going to be able to know that type of beauty in somebody until you get to know them so like physically you know uh, at an age where I'm just sprouting and all that stuff watching videos like this there was a part of it that you know that that was definitely titillated for sure but you know I didn't think that you know that is the only type of beauty I can have and must you know go after if that makes sense you know well that's good yeah, I I mean, I'm very familiar with its influence on girls. I'm, you know, not at all familiar with its influence on boys, except to set the same sorts of beauty standards. Like, if you look at the rock stars of the era, none of them were fat, none of them were balding, none of them were fathers, none of them were, you know... all. Well, they were, they just didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> right, the idea was... You're you're supremely available when you're a rock star. Yeah, I mean, I did. I, I will admit, and I've said it on the show before when I've talked about this song. That at the end of the video where he's driving and blowing kisses to all the women that are coming out and like you know waving at him and all that. I thought that was fucking cool, and it was like if only one day, <laughs> little Tim can <laughs> drive down the road and <laughs> all the women come out and <laughs> want to blow me kisses. That'd be great. <laughs> So you had a sense that that was good. You weren't quite sure why or how to achieve it, but... It wasn't going to happen in Michigan, no. But yeah, so like, if it could happen in a music video, it can happen somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It gives me hope for the future. I can maybe do it. (laughs) But that folks is the 80s uh you know music videos i don't know if the younger generations are into music videos as much i mean i don't know what um you know music video numbers look like for youtube um i'm you know and i i see like some of the classic stuff definitely gets a lot of play and whatnot but i you know and it's not like i go looking for newer music anyway but it's just like how do newer people find music like i like 
uh, like Pete Townsend of all things, it's like I read an article uh, where he talked about, you know, not really liking listening to Bob Dylan anymore. Not that he doesn't like Dylan, but he wants to hear new stuff. And he's like, I, you know, I go to band camp and other places like that to hear music. And it's just like, you know, is this a relic of a time that's gone and completely past? Yeah, I don't know, really. I mean, it's just so hard to know because, you know, the the generations that are setting the trends and standards of today are really young. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of uh, some of the music out there, I'm definitely part of the older crowd now. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I still try my best to at least keep some sense of you know curiosity because like I, I think that's the thing I didn't like in older people when I was a kid you know the fact that they didn't try to give it a chance you know not that they had to like this stuff because you know we've talked about it before like the older you get the more you see like newer bands or influenced by bands you liked when you were younger so why would you want to see the copycat when you can go to the original but that doesn't mean they're not doing something good you know yeah Anyway, before I ramble on any further and the professor's eyes get further, further closed, I think we'll uh, wrap up the second edition of Hump Day. Number two, Hump Day, yeah, yeah, we're coming to you, oh, oh, on the second Hump Day, yeah, yeah. All right, we are on the downslope of the Hump Day, folks. When you joined us, when this show started, if you heard it, the very first moment on Wednesday at noon, that was the very middle of Hump Day in the week. It's almost over. It's almost to the weekend. We we're hope sliding you in. We're sliding into the weekend, folks. We're almost there. So we hope you enjoy that weekend. Listen to the other shows on the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Uh, this Saturday, a new episode of Friends Talking Nerdy will drop, where we will continue our discussion on Season 5 of Big Mouth. But until we meet again next Wednesday... I do.